Well, this morning, uh, as Pastor Chris said, we begin a new series during the month of July. It's called Turning the Page. And, uh, you know, the most exciting book, fictional book, that is, that I have read in my life is the one I hold in my hands, The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if there's any other Lord of the Rings fans here at the church. All right. Okay. I see a few. This has 1,099 pages in it. And uh, when I became acquainted with this book back in the 1970s, I went to the Benson Memorial Library in Titusville, Pennsylvania, where I was pastoring at that time. Someone told me about this. I checked it out. It was, it was not all bound up in one volume. This is a trilogy. Anyway, I, uh, and there's no pictures in here. This is, these are all, this is all print. These are all words. Uh, I went to the library, and I picked, that, picked those three volumes up, and they were page turners for me. And I was excited with the turn of every page at what J.R.R. Tolkien and his fertile imagination would put onto that page. And Tolkien did something that very few authors have ever done in the history of the world. Uh, Tolkien wrote an entire mythology, and this is only one of the books. He wrote an entire mythology complete with histories and genealogies, ancestries, family trees, a whole host of narratives of elves and humans and dwarves and all kinds of creatures, all of whom had their own individual stories, and he wove them all into one grand narrative that really is hard to put down. At least, it was hard to put down for me. And when the movies came out, I've already told you my testimony on that. <laughs> okay. When the Fellowship of the Ring hit the theaters in 2001, I saw it five times in the theater. So you guys may think, this guy's got a problem here. <laughs> Maybe I do. I don't know. But anyway. So I was really into The Lord of the Rings. But you know what this story reminds me of? It reminds me of another story that's being written. And that's the story of Calvary Church, which is a story that is far more exciting than anything Tolkien could come up with. Because the story of Calvary Church rises from the very fertile imagination and mind of God himself. God is writing this story, and it is not a story about fictional people. But it's a story about how God has brought together in real history in this village and from surrounding villages and has planted a church in the village of Lamont. And one of the beautiful things about that is every, every person who's part of this church family has their own personal story of how they came to faith. For instance, how many, how many in this room today would say, there was a time in your life before you came to faith when you had absolutely no interest in God whatsoever. How many, how many would, okay, there's a few. How many of you came to Christ when you were a child? How many, that's a, that's a good number. How many came to Christ when you were maybe a teenager? All right, how about a young adult? Let's keep going, <laughs> middle adult. How about a senior adult? Any person's come to Christ at that? Okay, all right. Now, uh, and, and if we were to do the disc profile here today, or the Myers-Briggs, or the most popular one right now is the Enneagram. How many of you have done the Enneagram? Uh, that's pretty popular right now. Okay. Now, we have Ds and Is and Ss and Cs in here. 
We have, uh, I think the Enneagram goes from one through nine. All of, we have a blend of personalities, a blend of gifts. That's what this church family, everyone has their own individual story. But here's the beautiful thing. God has writing this story in such a way that he, a church is the, cre- God uses a church to reflect Christ through the composite personalities and stories of the people that make up that church, which means that there is not on planet Earth another church that represents and portrays and presents Jesus in exactly the same way this church does. Every church is a unique composite personality made up of the individual stories who are part of that church that reflect Jesus in a way that no other church can possibly reflect him. That makes what God is doing in this church, in this village, vitally important. It's unique, and it's powerful. And your story, what you contribute, is vitally important. The gifts and the talents that you bring into this place are vitally important because they're part of that narrative that God is writing. And now, Calvary Church is coming to a turning-the-page moment that all stories have. It's one that we haven't read yet, but we have this confidence that the author who's writing it is very skilled, and he knows what he wants to put on that page. In eight weeks, the page of the story that Jill and I have been so blessed to be part of, that page is going to come to a close. And we're going to be turning, this church is going to be turning to a new page that will be written under the leadership of a new lead pastor who is, who is going to lead into the next part of the story. Now, turning the page times can be sad as well as being times for excitement. And so to help us prepare as a church for this, for this next page, uh, we can turn to the scripture where there's some examples for us. And we're going to be looking at some of those examples during this month of July. And the one we're going to look at today occurred way back in about 1360 B.C. So that's over 3,000 years ago. But there's a lesson from 3,000 years ago that it is, is as relevant as if it happened yesterday. I think we're going to see that over these next few moments. So here's what happened. The congregation of the people of Israel, numbering about 3 million, that's a large, that's a large group of people, came to a turning the page time of transition in leadership between Moses, from Moses to Joshua. Moses had led the congregation for 40 years. He led them out of slavery in Egypt. He led them for 40 years through all the challenges and the ups and downs of the wilderness experience. And all the time, he was keeping in front of them that they were headed toward the promised land that God was leading them into. Now, there are some similarities and there are some dissimilarities to our situation as as we move forward that I think we can learn from this passage of Scripture. And so the the two chapters we're going to be taking a look at this morning, the very last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, which is chapter 34, and the very first chapter of the book that follows, which is Joshua chapter 1. So I'm going to summarize, and we're going to read some of these texts, but I think derive some lessons from it. First of all, the congregation of Israel, after those 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, had come to the border of 
the southern border of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so God calls Moses to climb Mount Nebo. We can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Let me read. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab, and he climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah extended to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Mount Nebo is still there today. It's called Mount Neba. Uh, you can climb it today. And there's a little plaque right there. There should be a picture on the screen uh, of probably pretty close to where Moses stood that day. Uh, and it's 2,330 feet high. Uh, and Moses, as he stood there, looking north, south, east, west, at the dimensions of this great land that God was leading them into, the, the future, Moses had to be pretty elated. He had to be pretty excited at, at the future that God had for the children of Israel. There's also a map, I think, that will give you a little bit of a picture. Uh, and, you know, here's one thing I always like to throw in when we're discussing things pertaining to our faith. You know, one of the things I'm most faithful, grateful about the Christian faith is that it's grounded in history. It's grounded in reality. The faith that we hold to is not some sort of a leap into the imaginary dark, hoping that, well, I hope this is true. No, the Christian faith, from Genesis to Revelation, it's woven right into the fabric of real space-time history, geography. And, uh, and there's roots in that, guys. So I just want to toss that in. It's not my main point, but I like it. <laughs> All right. I like it, anyway. Uh, so Moses was excited. I think God was saying this to Moses. Moses, I want you to climb that mountain. I want you to elevate yourself to a place of vision. I want you to see the future that I see. And you know what? God says that to Calvary Church. He's saying, calling Calvary Church to elevate itself to a place of vision. Let's find our Mount Nebo today, all right? Let's climb that Mount Nebo today. Let's see what God sees laying out in the future on this new page that he's going to write. And I'll tell you what, do you think God's blind? Do you think God sees anything in the future? I think God sees the future. And what kind of a future does God see? He sees a future of growth and strength. That's the way God is. God never leads people backwards. He leads people forward. And that's what he was trying to convey to Moses. And you can say the same thing about your own individual life today. Sometimes people feel like, man, my life, it's shot. It's over. It's done. There is no future for me. I'm stuck. I'm... No, no, you're not stuck. If you will trust God, if you will hang on to God, if you will climb your own personal Mount Nebo and let the Lord show you and what he has for you, you have a great future in front of you, every person in this room. So take courage today. He's a God. He's not a God who dwells and lives in the past. God can heal and forgive and restore us from our past. That's wonderful. And he is an existential God. That means he is here in the moment. But he is also the God who sees your future and mine and this church, its future. Let's take heart and let's take courage in that. I think all of that is what God was trying to get across to Moses that day. So God showed, as God showed Moses the landscape of this new land they were going into, it was not an easy terrain. It was filled with a lot of very warlike enemies 
there were a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. But then the Lord said this to Moses in verse number four. He says this, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, your ancestors. Abraham lived four or 500 years before this, to Isaac and Jacob. When I said, and God quotes himself, okay, this is what I said, and I'm saying it to you, Moses, I will give this land to your descendants. Now, notice the word descendants here. People that aren't alive yet. People that haven't been born yet. You know, Calvary Church is being blessed with a lot of babies being born, celebrating that, physical birth. But you know what? God was looking even beyond that. And this is where Calvary, I think he wants Calvary Church to look at. He wants us to look into the future and see the people next year, five years, over the next five years, the people through, who are going to be born spiritually into the kingdom of God by receiving the salvation of Christ as a result of the witness and the ministry and the vision that this church is implementing and continuing to implement into the future. That's what God sees. And may we see the people that are going to come to the kingdom of God and their lives changed as a result of this church continuing to be faithful to the vision God has given it. So, Israel was poised for a great new page of flourishing. And so is Calvary Church poised, I believe, for its greatest chapter yet. I really, I, I, I'm not just hyping that up. I believe that. This church is poised for that. Now, in the middle of, in the, okay, in the, in the second part of verse 4, there's a sudden turn, unexpected turn that takes place here. This is what God says to Moses. I have now allowed you to see it, to see the future, with your own eyes. I've allowed you to see it, Moses. I brought you up here onto the mountain. But you will not enter the land. Moses, you're not going to be the guy who's leading him onto, into, that, into that next chapter. Now, this is a similar time for Jill and I. And we've been grateful to have had this opportunity to lead this congregation these nearly 19 years. And during these years, we have journeyed together through times of vision and strategy, times of joy and laughter and salvations and testimonies and water baptisms and baby dedications. We have seen kids grow into, from preschoolers into youth and from youth into young adults. And others who were middle-aged when we come, we've seen them grow into that next category of, of lifespan <laughs> where I am presently, I presently occupy as well. Uh, and we've worshiped together. We have learned God's word together. We've grown together in small groups. We've prayed together. We have been able to touch our community and our world through Advent conspiracies and Easter celebrations and mission focuses and missions trips. And we've had the joy of many, many weddings. And there's a lot, a lot more things that have just been joyful. But we've also, had, we've also come through those times of sorrow together. When there's been the loss of dear loved ones, some of whom have who have died after many, many years of life, 
gone to be with the Lord. And then there have been those times when a much younger person, maybe even a child, has unexpectedly died. And we've walked through those valleys of tears together over these years. We've been together in times of counseling and grappling with some of life's blows and disappointments. There have been times of illnesses and being together in hospital rooms and intensive care units. There have been times of working through difficult decisions, but emerging with unity to do God's will. And all of this has welded into my heart and Jill's heart a deep love and a deep bond with this church family and a love that we feel reciprocated from the church family as well. And we're very grateful for that. But now, Moses and the congregation of Israel had come to this turning the page time in leadership. And this is what verses 5 and 6 go on to say. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab. And but to this day, no one knows the exact place where God buried Moses. Nobody knows it. Now, I told you there were both similarities and dissimilarities <laughs> in this text, okay? <laughs> because I'm not planning anytime soon to uh, uh, be buried, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Although, we all know that you know, our days are in God's hands, so we all know that, right? Uh, but we do know this. There is coming a change in my role and the proximity of our relationship that is going to be different. Now, the love is not going to change and the bond will not, and the bond's going to remain. But my role will change. And part of that change will mean that Jill and I will not be attending Calvary Church because there's going to be, there's going to need to be that time, that space for the new lead pastor to establish a relationship and, the, and, and his own leadership, uh, which can be a difficult thing to do if the, the previous pastor is still present. So, but, we, but having said that, Jill and I do not want the congregation to feel abandoned or forgotten <laughs> because our, our friendship goes on, though our role will change. So we want, I want it to be known clearly here that you are in our hearts. We genuinely, deeply care and value everyone. This role that I've been privileged to have has been far more than just a position or a job. More than just a career. More than just some sort of an assignment for Jill and I. This has been a time where I've had an opportunity to be a shepherd, a pastor, to be part of a spiritual family, a family that's going to last for all of eternity. And I and Jill, we are both very grateful for that. Now we go on in verse number seven, and, uh, and I'm not sure if this is a similarity or a dissimilarity. I know what I hope, but let's read what it says. Moses was 120 years old when he died. <laughs> <laughs> 
if that's true, then I'm only a little over halfway through. <laughs> and his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as he ever was. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm hoping for a similarity there. All right. But now comes a very important verse, verse number eight. It says, the people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. So there was a time of grieving for the congregation at Moses' departure. Uh, and I want you to be assured, as I said a moment ago, that Jill and I have been and will be grieving uh, the change that's taking place. Uh, but, you know, be reminded that grieving is a part of love, right? Grieving comes from a good place. It points us back to something that meant a lot to us. And, uh, so it, but it's, it's an adjustment that we all work through. And uh, then we come to verse number 9. This is what it says. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. Moses had prayed for Joshua. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. A couple things to point out here, I think, that apply. Number one is this. The people knew Joshua. He had served with Moses on the leadership team. I guess you would say the pastoral team. And there were others on that team. There was Aaron. There was Hur. There was Moses' sister Miriam. There was Caleb. And there are some others whose names are not given, who were part of that leadership team. I want to say this, that um, Calvary Church is blessed with a very strong pastoral team. I am very grateful for each person on this pastoral team. I can tell you each one is deeply committed to Jesus. Each one is a self-starter. Each one has high initiative. Each one takes their task and pours their heart and their soul and their time into it. Each one of them is here for the right reason, to love Jesus and to love people and lead out of that love. And each one of them has been a personal blessing to me. And Calvary Church is blessed with a pastoral team who will remain in place here and will be a great asset to that new lead pastor that God eventually brings into the church. So I think that's a place of stability for Calvary Church. And then the second thing I would point out is that just as the Lord had a Joshua for Israel, he also knows the name, he already knows the name of the next lead pastor that he has in mind for Calvary Church. We don't know that person's name, the Lord does, our part is being responsible and wise in the search and the interview process, which I believe is happening. But underlying that whole process is the belief that the Holy Spirit of God, as we trust him, is going to work through that process to put in place the person he already has in mind. We can trust God to work that way. And then verse number 9 also goes on to say that Joshua's new leadership began to be established. Uh, and there are two reasons given for this in verse number 9. The first one is this. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. 
for Moses had laid his hands upon him. That's God's part. God filled Mo, uh, Joshua with his wisdom to give leadership. The second, the second thing here, it's, it's the people's part. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So what that's saying is that the congregation of Israel received, made room in their hearts, and respected the new leader that God was bringing to them. Now, Joshua was different than Moses. He had a different personality. His disc profile would have been different than Moses' disc profile. They're different. They do things differently. They talk different. They lead probably from different, different ways. But that was okay. That's, that's part of the new page. That's part of the development and growth in God's kingdom that we should expect and value. And so I guess I would be asking this, this morning that the congregation here at Calvary Church be praying and then begin even now to make room in your hearts to love and receive the leadership of that new pastor who's going to be coming in the same way that you did that for me close to 19 years ago. Uh, and that, that's the smoothness of the way God works in his kingdom. It's going to take time to get to know each other, but I believe, here's what I believe, that the Lord of the Rings is not the greatest story that's ever been written, though it's a great one. Okay, I'll go right back to where I started. God is writing a story through your lives and through this, life, this church collectively. A tremendous story that he already sees. And if we will climb up that mountain with him and then let him lead us going into that land, it, the next page to be turned here is a wonderful page that's going to have great impact for the kingdom of God through this church in this area. So as we close this morning, uh, the first chapter of Joshua shows what happened after that grieving time had sort of come to a close and Joshua had now been installed as the new leader. And I'm just going to read what it says here with very little comment. This is what it says in Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to, in the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Listen to this. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. I believe that is God's promise of a great future, a greater future. And then God also call, gives a call for courage and obedience. Listen to what he says in verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. That is the word of God. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions. Study this word of God continually. 
Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Stay true to the scripture. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. And here he says it for the third time. Do you think God's trying to say something here? He says for the third time, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning that we have a foundation for confidence in the future. And Lord, this is true for every individual person in this room today. No matter what hopelessness might be being felt in this room or no matter what crushing disappointment of life might have occurred, no matter what the background uh, and the strikes against a person may feel they're dealing with, Lord, I pray that every individual in this room will climb Mount Nebo with you so that you can show them your vision for them lying ahead. And it is a great one, Lord, because you're the God who redeems and restores and and leads us forward. So, Father, I pray that prayer for this church. Lord, that this church will take that place of elevated vision and see what you see, Lord, and walk together with unity of the spirit and grasp hold of that future that is a wonderful new page lord thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your promise lord that you stand by your word you stand by your promise and lord we give you praise we thank you this morning for the the instruction that you can give us lord in life situations and we pray all of these things in jesus great his mighty name amen 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 And I wanted to add this addendum this morning. Uh, I think it's very important. If if you're a person here and you are checking out faith in Christ, what is this all about? Um, I just want to say that um, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We sang that one song earlier this morning where it talks about the breath came into his body when his body started to breathe, however that goes. I got sort of excited when I heard that phrase. (laughs) I mean, Jesus was dead and breath came back into his body. He's resurrected. He's alive. I think that is a fairly good reason to be enthused. (laughs) Okay. Don't you? I do. It's the foundation of our faith. So if you're here today checking out the Christian faith, what is this all about? Is God this remote, distant, deistic person who never gets involved in his creation he just sort of got it all going and then he stepped back and said i'll see you later that is not the message of jesus is he god is up close and personal and he had never intended to be a remote stranger and the and the point is this is perhaps maybe almost too good to believe but it's what jesus said he said that we can know him personally and our 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 Christian faith doesn't have to be this ritualistic um, history lesson about a Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. He did live then, very much. It's rooted in history, like I said. But he is alive today. And if you want to know him personally and experience him in your life, you can. That's the whole point of the gospel. He invites you to come to him receive forgiveness of sins that's what separates us from him 
if you'll come and confess those sins and say, Lord, I've blown it. I'm a sinner. I know I have. I invite you into my life. Then the relationship that God intended from the very beginning, the closeness, you can have that. And that's why sometimes we lift our hands in worship. That's sometimes why we, there's some exuberance in our Christian life because it's, it's real. It's not just an emotional binge. An emotional binge, who wants to live their life on an emotional binge? I don't. I want to live a life rooted and grounded in reality, but in a reality that certainly impacts my emotions. <laughs> and Jesus is alive from the dead, and that impacts my emotions. Uh, so anyway, if you want to know Christ today, where you sit right now, you can state to him and say, Lord, I've blown it. I want to know you. I receive you as my Savior. He'll come into your life. He'll begin to make his presence known personally to you. There's the gospel. So take advantage of that.